This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host Ishmael Johnson here in studio with producer Mal Pal. Mallory, how are you doing? Doing well. We just had our little Thanksgiving potluck lunch and so we're feeling pretty good right now. Yeah, I definitely have to, uh, should have had like a monster or something on the side because I, <laughs> I need a big, big boost right now. You always feel like we want to nap after you uh, eat a big meal like that. It just feels... That's I did not foresee. So, <laughs> yeah. so I, am, I am pushing through this uh, podcast. The energy... The one with the most energy, ironically, might be Mike Craven on the other line. Mike, how are you doing? For the first time ever, that sentence was uttered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to be leaning on you a lot. We're going to be giving you a B. John Robinson workload for this <laughs> for this episode because this Good. is, is going to be. Uh, hopefully, you don't end up uh, worn down by the end of it because this is going to be your show probably. <laughs> my, my elbow already hurt. <laughs> Oh, oh, shoot. <laughs> so there is a uh there's some news off the top we should get to first. First, uh this one's a little bit shorter. Jalen Petrie from Baylor. Uh they the NCAA announced some of their award finalists. Uh the only real Texan on the list is Jalen Petrie from Baylor, uh being a finalist for the Jim Thorpe Award given to the best defensive back, uh, along with Kobe Bryant, which is a great, great name. Um <laughs> of Cincinnati. Uh, Veron McKinley the third from Oregon and of course I mentioned Petrie is on that list as well um, some tangential Texan news as far as that's concerned uh, Jareth Stearns was snubbed in my opinion from the Belitnikoff finalist uh, leader in uh, Western Kentucky leader in receptions from uh, at West, uh, Western Kentucky I think he was let's see leader in receptions and yards I believe and he has, also has 10 I know double digit touchdowns this year he was snubbed uh, Garrett Wilson, of course, from Lake Travis High School, now at Ohio State, also snubbed from the Bolitnikoff list. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was any more. All the Ohio State receivers, actually. Oh, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Shocker. as well. <laughs> Jackson Smith, the Jigba, who I didn't know until I looked at it, leads Ohio State in receiving this year. I did not. I thought it was still that one of Olave me. or Wilson, but he's he's in that list. Um, that was snubbed from the Bolitnikoff. So, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's been an interesting year uh, for awards, and I don't think I know a lot of the receivers that were nominated. So, yeah. One other one uh, that we missed: Jalen Weidemeyer uh, is a finalist for the oh, Mackey Award yes, for yes. tight ends. One three finalists for that one. Yes, that wasn't on the list that I had, but yes, that is another one. So, um, shout out to him. I don't think that that was a surprise at all. Hopefully, good thing he was recognized as well. Um, one other piece of news that we should hit on. We're not going to spend too much time on it because it's not official. And But with the holidays coming up, you know, it'll be – it's not as nailed on that we'll probably get to a, a, a podcast over this, an emergency podcast over this. But all signs, all reports are pointing to Sonny Dyke soon being the head coach at TCU. Uh, Pete Thamel's reporting it. Uh, Drew Davison's reported on it. Um, Joe Hoyt as well at the DMN has kind of hinted on it as well. He was asked about it in a press conference, and he more or less gave a answer that it could be best summarized as "Let me wait to tell my team first. <laughs> he didn't mm-hmm. officially say that, but he more or less said, "Like I'm not going to talk about that right now." Um, so, with that being said, of course, presumably in the next couple of days, in the next week or so, SMU might become open. With that news, Pete Thamel reported from Yahoo uh, that Rhett Lashley, current offensive coordinator, former offensive coordinator uh, at T- uh, SMU current at Miami might be the top target for SMU. Uh, Mike, you know, what was your, what's kind of your reaction to that news kind of floating around right now? And what do you think of Red Lashley reportedly being the guy SMU has in mind? Yeah, from, I know a couple of the the players on SMU's roster, just from my days in recruiting, know some of their parents. And, and from what I can gather, you know, they feel it's more likely that Sonny Dykes ends up at TCU then mm. stays at SMU. So I think that one's trending in that direction with as much smoke and as many reports are out. That, that feels like that's a matter of if, not when. I, I would like the Lashley hire. I mean, I, I feel uh, that that offense worked well there. It kind of 
keep some continuity with some of the players. Uh, some of the players on the roster would have some familiarity with them. They definitely have some familiarity with the offensive system that he would he would bring in. And so I, I like the hire. He's already, you know, he's already known by the fan base, already known by the administration. So I'm not surprised that's one of the first names we hear. Mm-hmm. But as we know, with coaching searches, that first name that comes out isn't always the name that's hired. And so Sonny Dykes' name was the first one to come out for tech job. Same Mm -hmm. with Jeff Trailer at UTSA, right, for for the tech job. And that that didn't materialize. So um, I I would imagine the SMU job is pretty well sought sought after. It's in Dallas. You get a lot of support, uh, private school, so you can get, you know, money going pretty easily there. So that'll be interesting to see what happens with the SMU job. Uh, if and when Sonny Dykes does go to TCU. Yeah, one thing I will say is pointing in Red Lashley's favor is that, you know, their current situation at Miami under Manny Diaz, you know, is kind of shaky right now. Um, it's not a guarantee that he stays there, so Red Lashley could be looking for something. You know, with Sonny Dykes, it was kind of more of a would Sonny Dykes take the job, um, kind of thing with with Tech. I think that one thing I do I will say is that. When people talked about the SMU offense, obviously you look to Sonny Dykes, he's, that's kind of his uh, bread and butter. But Rhett Lashley was a big part of that, especially how they were able to run the ball a lot well, a lot better um, uh, than people thought from a Sonny Dykes team. And obviously he parlayed that into the Miami job. But talking, you know, Sonny Dykes, he was around coaching school a couple times and like he loved being around this environment. I think he would thrive theoretically in this scenario. Um, and I think he has that personality. He's young enough as well to be able to connect um, to a lot of the recruits. And I think he's modern thinking enough to where they could, I don't want to say keep it going. Cause obviously you have to put a support staff around him, but I would be a big fan about that. I would be a big fan and wouldn't be surprised if they turned to red Lashley. Now for TCU's side, do you think do you think Dykes is the right guy? Do you think Dykes was the best guy they could have hired? Um, because I mean, you're taking over for Gary Patterson. Theoretically, you know, again, this is all unofficial right now, but presumably taking over for Gary Patterson, who's 20 years of of uh, of establishment established history there, you're more or less remaking the program from a defensive one to an offensive one. You know, what what do you think about that fit? Yeah, it does. I, I did figure they would go offensive after having a, a defensive head coach for 20 years for a couple of reasons. You kind of you want to go opposite of what you had previously and you don't want somebody to have to follow in those footsteps. Right. It's like this you know, defensive head coach coming in there to to replace Gary Patterson. So and, you know, you know that Sonny Dykes can recruit the DFW area. Mm-hmm. He's done it. He, he's been aggressive with it. He you know, with the billboard, billboards and all that kind of stuff, you know that he kind of gets what needs to happen there. I'd imagine they believe he brings some, re, you know, assistance with them, you know, like a, like a samples or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a proven commodity. And I think TCU, it felt like TCU from the very beginning wanted guys with head coaching experience where you kind of knew what you were getting. It didn't right. feel like they wanted to go take a chance on somebody like a Joey McGuire at Texas tech, right? Mm-hmm. That it, it certainly didn't feel like those kind of guys were in the, in the running. I, I mean, I've always been a Sonny Dykes fan. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a great offensive mind. He's won at SMU. He's made SMU into something that, you know, most of us haven't seen in our lifetimes that be on a consistent basis. And so there's a lot of boxes he checks. I know that it may not be the sexiest or most inspired hire mm-hmm. uh, for that fan base, but you know, who cares if they're winning nine, 10 games and competing for big 12 championships in a couple of years, nobody's going to remember if it was a splash or not a splash. Yeah. I will say credit. We, we mentioned this when tech made the Joey McGuire hire for jump Mac acting fast, credit the tech hierarchy for making that move. Because we mentioned TCU was maybe hit their radar was if again, Dykes is apparently always their guy, but if it didn't happen, they were going to turn their sights. If SMU opened up, that was going to be another attractive job. Tech made sure to lock down their guy in like he, like we mentioned he wasn't a, a a nailed on head coaching experienced kind of guy it was a it's a theoretical risk but you know they had their guy and they zeroed in to make sure that before all these other openings this domino effect uh, continues they made sure their guy was locked up and I think that they're they're kind of reaping the benefits of that right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think they they made that decision. One, it, it locked up their guy. It did feel like they kind of settled on Joey McGuire, you know, pretty early in that process. Mm-hmm. And and it gives them some time to get into, you know, national signing day with the early period kind of changing the whole landscape of new hires and stuff. And so I think that's why we kind of feel the Sonny Dykes news. If it is going to drop, it's going to drop kind of over this holiday weekend because right. 
if he's going to take over TCU, he'll want to do the same thing that Joey McGuire is getting to do at Tech, and that's really hitting the phones and, and working on that recruiting class so it doesn't feel like a waste of the cycle. Yep. All righty. Well, that's, like I said, that was uh, some headline news. We wanted to get that out there because if we wait by the time it's official, it might be literally Thanksgiving by the time it drops, But and there's multiple reports going around. I mean, the fact that Red Lashley is a name already out there and the job's not open yet, like it feels like uh, something just kind of waiting mm-hmm. in the wings. So thought we'd hit on that off the top. Yeah, because that with with that happen with, with Lashley's name already surfing, su- uh, surfacing with mm-hmm. national reports, that means his agents already hitting right. up yeah. the thing that they've been contacted for. So it does feel kind of like a matter of time. Yep. Alrighty, Mallory, let's get to our games this week because we do have as as much as emotion was in last week, we still got some games to finish off the regular season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Starting off, we're gonna we're gonna have our first game on Friday, November twenty sixth at eleven a.m. Texas hosting Kansas State. You can watch this game on Fox, and Texas is favored by three points, which I think is a little. I I wouldn't have seen this coming. Yeah. I wouldn't seen have seen Texas uh, being favored in this game, especially because uh, both quarterbacks are injured. I think Card his ankle mm-hmm. is there's something wrong with his ankle, and then of course Case Thompson his thumb he injured that I think last game, so not looking great for Texas. So yeah. I'm a little surprised at that line. A little bit a little news dropped from Kyle Lyd- Kevin Lytle um, this week from the Statesman. There is a chance. That a five and seven Texas team gets an invite to a bowl, because there are, there might not be again. It depends on the rest of the results. Mm-hmm. There might not be enough six and six teams, and Texas is a brand that if they do have to look into the five and sevens, they're gonna they're first on the list. Texas. Right? Yes, they're first on the list. Now, I texted Craven after I saw that and saying, would they take a bowl? Because typically you see those teams that drop to five and seven. I think Missouri did this a couple years ago where they just don't take the bowl. They're just right. like we didn't make we didn't get bowl eligibility. We were invited. We're not going. I'm not sure that's a nailed on thing for this team right now. Do they need to evaluate more? Do they kind of see where they need to, where the holes are going to be so they they don't need the extra practice? I don't know, but that is an interesting bit of extra incentive to kind of pull mm-hmm. this one out. Craven, what do you think? Yeah, I do think there's still, you know, something to play for, right? You, as Sarkeesian, you can put that carrot out there. And as Sarkeesian, I think if you did, theoretically get into that scenario you have to take the bowl game because you need those practices um, a lot of the guys that are going to transfer or get you know kind of kicked out of the program will after the regular season so you'll have kind of a smaller roster and kind of the guys you know you're going into spring with there to really work on some stuff that clearly you know they need to work on right if this was year two year three maybe you turn that bowl down but in year one you kind of take that extra spring practice is what essentially it becomes. This game on Friday is interesting to me. You know, uh, you usually get about three points for being at home. So this is, you know, gamblers thinking it's kind of a pick em game. Kansas State just lost to Baylor. Texas always kind of has a little extra juice. They're kind of like the Cowboys in that way where mm-hmm. people just bet on Texas, right? Mm-hmm. They, you're just used to them being the brand. And so you bet on the brand and for your favorite team and stuff. I just look at this game as – not a good matchup for the Longhorns. I don't know if there are good matchups for the Longhorns right now with how they've been playing, but a physical, tough team that tends to not make mistakes and forces you to beat them doesn't feel to be the best team for Texas to come up against right now. Maybe they you know, come up with one of their best performances of the season to kind of end this on a, on a better feeling than they had. Maybe it's an us-against-the-world type of deal, but I would imagine – it's pretty flat at DKR on Friday, early after Thanksgiving, with not much to play for. And it's just one of those games where Kansas State's going to make you beat them. Mm-hmm. And Texas doesn't feel like a team that can beat anybody right now. Kansas State really doesn't have anything to play for in this game either. They're not looking for a Big 12 championship spot. Uh, they already are bowl eligible with seven wins on the season. So I can see how Texas could be also favored in this game. Potentially. Beating, beating, beating Texas is always the thing to get up for. I was about right. to say, yeah, that, that is kind of, I mean, for the Big 12 in general, I mean, you know, any team any week kind of has that has that on there uh, as the potential. And and I feel like with Kansas State, you know, they've never, I don't think they've played a bad game this season, mm-hmm. right? They're, Texas has played multiple bad games. Baylor's played a bad game. Oklahoma's played. Kansas State's one of those teams where if they just get beat, they just get beat, right? It's not like... They roll over. They don't have a 35-3 or something. It's mostly just 
Deuce Vaughn, Skylar Thompson. Like one of their be- worst performances came without Skylar Thompson, right? Their quarterback. Um, and for me, if this was Texas earlier in the year, I would take Texas running away because I feel like Kansas, where Kansas State's going to beat you, is with Deuce Vaughn hitting a big play or with Skylar Thompson making something happen. And earlier in the year, I'd say, oh, Texas can match that, right? If, if Deuce Vaughn goes off for a big gain, okay, cool. Xavier Worthy's going to hit something big. Bijan Robinson's going to hit a big play. Well, of course, Bijan Robinson's out. Um, he's probably, I think Brian Davis said he's not going to be available or his uh, elbow is going to be okay mid December. Um, mm-hmm. He'll be cleared around then. But, um, but, you know, now you're kind of juggling what you have at quarterback. We don't really know because last week, Last week to me was rock bottom for the quarterback play for this yeah. team because um, neither. Typically, when you've been when they sat one, one of them kind of had the hot hand. Neither really <laughs> had the hot hand last week, and the offense just looked pedestrian with both of them. So now I feel like you're at rock bottom at that position. So I don't feel confident that you can hit certain big plays to even to your playmakers like Xavier Worthy. Um, Jordan Wington was healthy, and it, you know he didn't he couldn't get the ball to him. So like I don't, it, I. I, I I don't know. The, the Texas is favored, and uh, I'm looking at Parker's model too. Stats of War on Twitter. They, he even has them favored by a good margin. And I'm trying to, maybe it's just me overanalyzing what I've seen and in, like intangibles and things like that. But I'm really struggling to see where Texas hits plays against this team. Yeah. Well, and in theory, Texas should be able to keep Kansas State from scoring a lot of points, and then that gives their offense and Xavier Worthy, you know, they just need to make a few plays here and there to outscore Kansas State. But I'm just not sure I trust the Texas defense to do that. I know it would be out of character, but I wouldn't be too surprised if Kansas State got into the 30s or 40s against Texas just because, you know, they can't stop the run, and then that opens up everything else behind it. So, um a really important game for Texas. I mean, I, I, you know, it's hard to say that when when a team is is this bad, but it just you can't go out on a seven game losing streak like sure. that, right? Yep. Need some good vibes in that room. Seven games in a row, that's going to be hard to rebound from in one off season. A win against Kansas State doesn't fix all that and doesn't make this season a success in any type of way. But I do think it restores a little bit of confidence in that room. I think that's what Texas really needs right now is a boost of confidence. I will say one thing, one last thing to kind of hit, give a little bit of a nugget to the Texas defense. Kansas State is actually pretty bad on early downs. Um, They are 118th in percentage on first and second downs. So they set up, they're going to set up a lot of third downs. The problem with that is, they're one of the best teams in the country on third downs. So <laughs> they get in, they generate the, the in third and longs, they're not out of it. And they're also really aggressive on fourth downs. So they can, if they can get that third down to fourth and two, they're going to go for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something to maybe watch for if they can get and, and notoriously Texas is also Texas defense is also pretty bad on third down. So maybe that plays into how Kansas state rolls. I don't know, but that's something to maybe look for if they can set up these third and longs. Maybe they can't convert all of them. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, Mallory, what's next? Sticking with our Friday slate, UTEP playing at UAB this weekend at 1 p.m. You can watch this game on ESPN+. Plus. UAB, no surprise, favored by 13 and a half. Mm-hmm. UTEP, hello. Um, so you saw the game last week, UTEP, right? Just making sure. Um, this is a good team. Yeah. Your defense needs to shape back up. Uh, we need that UTEP defense that was, you know, top 10 in the country and stopping the run. Uh, that's pretty good at preventing big plays because this is a UAB team that's going to test you on probably the first, within the first five plays of the game or four plays, I should say, they're going to take about one or two deep shots. And if they do that, I don't know if UTEP is good. UTEP right now seems like that defense that if you get them on two big plays early, and the offense is playing catch up and can't get in that rhythm that, you know, that that running rhythm that get, at least keeps defenses uh, respectable to the run to where they can hit the pass. UTEP's in trouble. And I think UAB knows that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, UAB was able to score, you know, 21 pretty quick points against UTSA. The good news for the Roadrunners is they have an offense that can match that for yep. a little while. Maybe not for 60 minutes, but for a little while. UTEP doesn't, you know, they, they just, they're not going to create that many points on a consistent basis. And so, for them, that defense has to look at the second half that UTSA played and, and go, okay, we're going to have to play too high safety and just completely take away the big shots. We're going to mm-hmm. have to make UAB just work the ball down the field, run the ball, kind of maybe get them out of the comfort zone, force a mistake. And then you just got to get after the passer. I mean, you really do have to get after Hopkins and get him off his spot, make him 
be a freelancer and maybe you get him to make a few mistakes. We saw that last week against UTSA. So this one to me feels like, you know, not, not a, maybe not an upset game for UTEP, but one where they can keep this one pretty close because UAB is going to have a natural letdown after last week, right? Mm -hmm. You lose a game like that on the road. There's no more conference championship hope or anything of that nature. You're just playing for a better bowl game, a better record. UTEP can just play free. They got to seven wins last week. They're feeling pretty good. They know they're going to get a bowl invite. It feels like if I was a UAB fan, I would be worried that this is a letdown game for UTEP. The way you can win this game is by getting a few stops early and then you just got to hope you're explosive. I think it's, I think, you know, by the time it's the 12th game of the season, you are who you are, right? You're probably not going to be this offense that makes 12, 13, 14 play drives on a consistent basis. You just got to figure out a way to get explosive and get some points on the board and hope that's enough. Yeah. This is going to be one of UTEP's, uh, the toughest secondaries UTEP has has faced. So even in those big plays, UAB is going to be a defense that is, I think, suited to defend that. What I will say is I think the key to this game is going to be UTEP's front seven versus Dwayne McBride. Dwayne McBride for uh, UAB is the guy that makes that offense go. He's kind of – obviously uh, uh, Hopkins hit some big plays last week against UTSA, but they couldn't get McBride off the field in that first half, UTSA, and that was really down-to-down down is what really like hurt them early on. And they're going to try the same exact thing with this UTEP defense. A UTEP defense that is strong against the run. So I think that's going to be the strength-on-strength strength matchup there. Whichever one wins out of that, or even if that's a stalemate, trying to get that, trying to get another phase of the game involved is going to be key for me if UTEP's going to want to pull this one out. And the key to stopping that run is getting to play seven, eight guys in the box. And what happened to UTSA early was they got blown over the top, you know, 75-yard touchdown pass and then a 40-yard touchdown pass Mm -hmm. to where the defensive coordinator had to make an adjustment and take a safety out of the box. And now there's a lot of room to run the football. So for UTEP, you can limit those big plays early then you have enough guys in the box to stop the run and force the force UAB to have slow sustained drives as well. Yep. Mallory, what's next? Still sticking with our Friday slate, TCU playing at Iowa State uh, at 3.30 p.m. on Friday. You can watch this game on FS1 and Iowa State, favored by 15. Yeah, this is a beatable Iowa State team, and this is a TCU team that's playing for bowl eligibility. Yep. Um. Craven, what are you thinking about this one? Because I, I have a lot of, I feel like I have multiple thoughts on this game, but I'm curious what you're thinking. Yeah, so for TCU, there is something to play for, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you get to a bowl game. If you win this game, Iowa State struggled. You've seen them lose to Texas Tech in recent weeks. They lost to Oklahoma last week. They've reached six games. So, you know, what's the difference between six and seven games if you're Iowa State? So you feel like you have some advantages there in terms of like what you're playing for. Uh, for TCU right now, it just feels like they're so banged up. That they're just kind of patchwork trying to get um, to the end zone, to the end line there. And so what game plan does TCU come out with? If Max Duggan's the quarterback, uh, do they throw the ball around a little bit more than they did last week? Do they think they can run it 50 times and beat Iowa State? I think when we saw Texas Tech beat Iowa State, it's because they took some chances in the passing game. Is is TCU's quarterback healthy enough to do that? Are the wide receivers healthy enough to do that? Can the offensive line hold up? And so, uh, to me, this is about TCU, probably more than Iowa State. Like, what Horn Frog team do we get? Because over the last month, since since Gary Patterson's been gone, it feels like we've kind of had a Jekyll and Hyde TCU team. Either they've come out and played really inspired, good football that's been surprising, or they've just gotten crushed like they did last week against Oklahoma State. I think this, yeah, I think this Iowa State defense is just going to be too much for TCU. Um, they're ranked, yeah, tenth best overall in the nation, allowing just five yards of play. And we kind of saw what happened last time TCU played a top ten ranked defense, which was mm-hmm. Oklahoma State, and that mm-hmm. final score was sixty-three to seventeen. Right. So, yeah, I will say, and another thing on that is, you know, Evans still out. I believe Jerry Kill said Quinn Johnson's still questionable. Um, So that'll be something, obviously, to watch out for. I will say, and I've mentioned this before, Brock Purdy is not exactly the steadiest quarterback to play against. So that might be something that plays into this kind of the shakiness of TCU's defense. Mm -hmm. If they can get a mediocre game out of Brock Purdy, which I believe last week he wasn't that great, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And so let me see. They played. Yeah, he's one for one. Yeah, kind of kind of a. Uh, game against Oklahoma um, and then of course against Tech he turns the ball over twice has two picks um, uh, he, I don't know I feel like Brees Hall is going to be a problem but I feel like Brock Purdy's not the, the, 
to me more than Spencer Sanders. At least Spencer Sanders gives you something on the ground. Yeah. When I mentioned him as being kind of a combustible quarterback, Brock Purdy, I don't think gives you even that kind of dynamic element. So right. I feel like the problems they had against Oklahoma State, it's more of a poor man's version of that with mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. So who knows? I, I will say it is a lot for me to ask TCU to win this without Evans and Quentin Johnson, literally probably your two most talented players yeah. on the team. Um, so if Johnson doesn't play, that's another thing that goes wrong for them. Um, unfortunately, I think Iowa State wins this, but that 15 line is also a lot. I don't think they win that much. Mm-hmm. All right, what's next, Mallory? We're going to start off our Saturday slate at 11 a.m. Baylor hosting Texas Tech. You can watch this game on FS1. Baylor favored by 14. Yeah, so let me okay, let me set up the scenario real quick. So as we know, Baylor's playing for a Big 12 title opportunity. Baylor needs to hope Oklahoma State wins because Baylor owns the tiebreaker over Oklahoma. If Oklahoma wins, Oklahoma State beats owns the tiebreaker over Baylor, so basically we get a bedlam rematch if um if that in the Big 12 title game. So Baylor needs to take care of business. Tech also loves the idea of playing spoiler against Baylor, so that's kind of the scenario for both these teams. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I mean on paper this should be Baylor's game to win. I, I, you know, last week. You saw how much Texas Tech struggled against Oklahoma State when another team controlled the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. It's hard to imagine this Texas Tech offensive line has much success against the front seven of Baylor. So it'll be all on Donovan Smith or Baron Morton, whoever we see at quarterback for for Texas Tech. And I just don't think that they can score enough points. Baylor didn't run the ball all that well last week in their win. Uh, I would imagine the Bears come out like really purposefully set the tone there. And we've seen Texas Tech's defense not – stop the run against TCU, against Texas. Baylor's going to do the same thing with that wide zone. I would imagine Abram Smith gets 20 to 25 carries. Now, Tristan Ebner had a really good game last week. I think this is one of those where just Baylor just runs Texas Tech into the ground and just beats them up on the way to a pretty pretty easy victory. I will say, does it doesn't scare you a little bit that it might be Shapin instead of Gary Bahannon in there this week? You know, I don't think so. Just because Texas Tech's running game is or running defense is so bad. Mm-hmm. Right? If I if I had confidence in them stopping the run and then forcing Baylor to really throw the ball on third and long and put them in those situations, and if this was in Texas Tech where it's windy and you're you know on the road, maybe I would I would think more about that. But I really think this is one of those where we look at the stat box after the game and. Baylor's thrown the ball 20 times. Right. You know, I, I think they run it 50, 60 times and just control the clock, control the game, and just slowly wear Texas Tech down because Texas Tech is a decent football team, but they have no depth defensively. You get past those first set of guys, and the drop-off is pretty pretty huge. Even in that second half against Iowa State when they won, you could see them getting worn down pretty quickly. So I think Baylor just comes out with a point to prove and just grinds them into the dust. Yep. I think that's fair. I think that we what we saw last week from Blake Shapin was a guy who wasn't going to win you a game, but kind of the perfect uh, uh, babysitter, if you will, for this offense. Um, when Abram Smith and Tristan Ebner are cooking the way they are, you know, uh, it, it will hurt in a sense that Gary Bahannon can participate in that run game when he's healthy. Um, Blake Shapin probably can a little bit, but not to the same degree, at least right now. So, you know, when you have those two running backs, I don't think it's going to be uh, that big of a task to have him in there. And then Defensively, I mean, Tex, you mentioned last week, Don, you know, there's film on Donovan, Donovan Smith now. Baron, it would be a lot to ask uh, Baron Morton to come in and get this offense cooking. So, yeah, I kind of agree. Baylor knows they're right on the doorstep of that Big 12 title game. So I think they don't want to look back on this, have the scenario they need to play out in Bedlam, and then say, oh, we lost in our game, right? So I think they're going to take care of business and just hope for the best in the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State game. Now, if you're wanting a game to skip this weekend, you're going to want to skip this next one. You're learning. Yes. (laughs) You're learning. (laughs) Houston at UConn this Saturday at 11 a.m. You can watch this game on CBSSN. Houston favored by 32. Yeah, Houston, get out healthy because uh, I want to see that Cincinnati game. <laughs> so exactly, exactly. I, they're not looking at this game. They're, want, they're focused next week. <laughs> I, I want I want Clayton Tune out by the third quarter. I want this game wrapped up, good to go. Uh, has UConn even hired their coach? I know they, they let, like, I don't even know. They're, they're still looking for a new head coach, I think. 
Um, Lou Spanos is the interim head coach. Wow, that's a name I have not heard in forever. Um, but yeah, so let's get out of there with a win. Yeah, this is a game you're going to want your young guys to play in to get some reps and to hopefully get some get some experience uh, just in case they get thrown into the game next week against Cincinnati. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a glorified open week for Houston. I, I would imagine behind the scenes, even though Holgerson and, and the staff can't say this, I'd imagine they're spending most of their week kind of game planning for Cincinnati mm-hmm. more so than UConn. You'd hope you can just show up and beat UConn. And, and by the second half, you got the reserves in. What you don't want is like what happened to UTSA in that Southern Miss game, right? Yeah. Where you yeah. Just let a team hang around that shouldn't and all of a sudden it's in the third quarter and it's kind of this fluky game that you're having to really uh you know play a full 60 minutes because you know you do want your guys to get a rest that is the advantage of already kind of punching your ticket to the aac championship game is that you can uh you know get your guys some break i I would imagine even if there's some guys with knocks, right? Like Alton McCaskill right. left the, the game last Hopefully week. You don't even, he doesn't even have to play. Even if he could play this week, I'd imagine he won't, right? Because any guys with some bumps and bruises are going to be kind of left out to get healthy. So should be an easy week for the Cougars, and it's all about getting ready for that AAC championship game against Cincinnati. Yep. yep. Just a scoreboard watch for this one, folks. Yep. Yep. <laughs> What's next? Box score. You can tell everything you need to know by the box score Probably, after this game. Yes. Coming up next, Rice hosting Louisiana Tech this Saturday at 12 p.m. You can watch this game on ESPN Plus. LaTeX favored by only three and a half. And I, I don't think I'd really be surprised if Rice came out with a win in this one. I think I might actually take Rice in La this Tech one. lost to that quarterbackless Southern Miss last week. Right. Like they, <laughs> they basically ran the Wildcat the entire offense, the entire day. I was keeping up with that game. I was like, can can Southern Miss finally win a, 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 a game against an FBS team without a quarterback? Credit to them. They pulled it out 30, 35-19. That is nuts. Like, again, they literally ran an all-Wildcat offense for the entire game. Um, <laughs> it was it, It's amazing. So, yeah, no, LaTeX in a bad way right now they've hit their skid and uh, coincidentally it's coincided with kind of them getting left out a lot of the realignment as as like right, more realignment right. yep. has happened it's just kind of continued to go downhill <laughs> since then um but yeah since that let's see since their win over north texas one two three four five six seven six they've been gone one and six with one win over oh. charlotte so it again aside from utsa and uab it hasn't, hasn't exactly, and NC State is in there too. Uh, it hasn't exactly been a murderous row either, right? They lose 19, they put up three against UTEP. Don't for, don't forget that. Wow. They only put up three <laughs> against UTEP. I think this is an, the problem is, it's not exactly a hot rice right now either. Right. Offense is fine, which might be enough because uh-huh. I don't know if LaTeX offense is exactly cooking to push the push that rice defense right now. Mm-hmm. But that's the that's my only hesitancy is just trying to see can we get the rice offense clicking without the mistakes? Cause Jake Constantine's he's put up some yards. He's put up some good production, but in past couple weeks, it's been the mistakes that have really cost them recently. It's two overtime losses. It's the UTSA, you know, they went up against UTSA and Western Kentucky, all those games he played decently, but he had some costly mistakes in there. And I'm wondering if you're playing against a team that's probably more floundering than you are. Can you pull something out of there and come out with a win? I'm, I'm not, insanely optimistic about it but uh if it's going to happen i think this law tech team is the team it'll happen against mm-hmm. yeah i mean law tech's really bad i think law tech's worse than people who don't watch a lot of g5 football football would give them credit for right, right? like you, you just look at this matchup and you think oh yeah law tech's gonna win this game I, i'm not sure i think rice is like you mentioned kind of the better team right now they, mm-hmm. they have the same record but the Owls have played decent football. They've made some mistakes, and they've lost some close games, a couple in overtime. They were up uh, at halftime last week against UTEP. So they're they're not a team that's just, like, floundering, quitting on the way to the end, right? It right. does feel like this Louisiana Tech team is just kind of ready for this season to be over. You add in being at home. I know Rice Stadium doesn't give you this huge home field advantage, but there's something to be said about sleeping in your own bed, having your own routine, mm-hmm. having some family in the stands. I, I think Rice – has more motivation to go out and win this game. And I think they have more offensive firepower to put up points. And so sure. uh, give me give me the Owls and Constantine to to get a win and kind of go into the offseason with a little – with some good feelings and then the knowledge that you were a possession or two away from having a 6-6 six and six season, right? And, and so you win this game, I think you can go into the offseason with some optimism. You lose this game, 
you can't really use some of that, some of those thoughts as, as a way to, to propel yourself into, you know, March, April. Yep. All right. You've convinced me. I'll take rice. I think, uh, I don't think I was convinced really until that, that last week's game. So that losing a Southern Miss when they don't even, they threw eight passes. And again, that's out of the Wildcat, which passes out of the Wildcat are also really funky. So yeah, I don't know. I think Louisiana Tech's in a bad way. So yeah, I'll go, I'll go with rice as well. What's next, Mallory? Coming up, Craven, are we going to bet on this game? <laughs> North Texas hosting UTSA this Saturday at 1 p.m. You can watch this game on ESPN Plus. UTSA only favored by 10 and a half. Craven, what's our the wager? An- the answer uh, to that question you asked me is always yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's always up for it. Yes, that is a, it, that it, is a it doesn't even have there. to involve North Texas or UTSA. <laughs> yeah, I. Now, Man, we can, the hate. we can bet on anything at any time. Uh, this one, <laughs> this one feels like a good week for North Texas, right? If you're going to play UTSA, uh, this is the week to do it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we talked about Houston kind of not looking at that UConn game as much as they're looking at the Cincinnati game. It's hard to imagine UTSA players and coaches are paying as much attention to this North Texas game as they're thinking about the Conference USA game. Even if you're, you know, going through the motions and your heart's in the right place, it's just human nature to know that there's higher stakes the next week. So if this gets into the third, fourth quarter and and it's a close game, do you see UTSA play a little bit vanilla and play? uh, Do you see them kind of take some guys out? Does Cincinnati McCormick get 20-plus carries? Do you really play to win or do you hope to win and just play to to win that next week, the the more important week? And then if you're North Texas, everything's riding on this game. Mm -hmm. You win this game, you go out on a five-game winning streak, people are feeling good about Cecil Luttrell's, tenure that early season slump can be explained away by just a super tough schedule and you can say you're more the team in the back half of the season than you are in the front half of the season good vibes are important going into offseason they help with recruiting they help in spring they help with transfers they help keep kids on campus so it feels like this could be a trap game for utsa you got to go up to denton these two teams tend to be rivals there's some bad blood there there tends to be you know close games and stuff like that on paper, UTSA is the much better football team, but do we see that on Saturday? I'm not exactly sure. We've seen UTSA play down to competition against UNLV and against Southern Miss. Maybe that happens again on Saturday and North Texas can steal one. Right. I was going to say this is certainly not going to be a game with against talent. You know, We clearly mm-hmm. know who the more talented, bigger, better team is. It's going to be it's going to come down to the factors that are off the field. Mm -hmm. That's going to probably really determine this game. I think, I think when you look at, and I think when more on Craven's point about, you know, this being the right time, not only for, for kind of to catch UTSA off, but UNT's finally gotten something going with that running game. Mm -hmm. Right. It fell off for a bit after I'd say after golly, after La Tech, maybe, Tory kind of started to wear down a little bit and you yep. kind of started to see a lot of their uh, offensive line issues with the running game past couple weeks. Okay. You're starting to see uh, Isaiah Johnson come into the game. You're starting to see Tory get back into it. Um, I can't pronounce it. Uh, Akaika Johnson mm-hmm. or Akaika Ragsdale, I should say. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. He's had a couple hundred yard games, I believe. They're finally finding some depth in the running game to where you're not having Austin Ani or Jace Ruder or whoever having to throw the ball so much. And so, if they can find some of the similar holes in against the defense, now UTSA knows that they're not as worried about Austin Ani throwing the ball, so maybe they do stack the right. box a little bit more than they could against UAB. But we've seen that UTSA defense get a little bit loose when it comes to the running game. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I still will take UTSA in this game. I think the 10.5 is quite a bit, though, um, especially for UNT, playing on senior night, playing for bowl eligibility, playing for their head coach, who they yep. clearly still care about and still want to play for. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this is one we're looking into the fourth quarter and say like UTSA are really still still let them hang around, huh? So I think when it unfortunately for UNT, I don't when it gets down to you know what we call quote unquote winning time. I think that the guy in the backfield manning the ball, I think I will take UTSA's guy definitely. Absolutely, because um, that's when it becomes about talent, right? right? That's and when that's it and exactly. it, obviously you see who the more talented team unless, is. Unless UTSA is making uncharacteristic mistakes, you know, like doing things right. like that that keeps UNT in it. Eventually, it's going to come down to, I think, Austin Ani versus Frank Harris. And unfortunately, I'm going to go with UTSA in yep. that. You know, unfortunately, no for doubt. UNT, I'm going to go with uh, Frank Harris in that every time. No doubt. No doubt. 
Up next, Texas State traveling to Arkansas State this Saturday at 1 p.m. You can watch this game on ESPN Plus if you choose to. Arkansas State favored by only two points. I I don't know if I should be insulted by this line or not because <laughs> Arkansas State has the worst defense in the country. They're so bad. Arkansas State's not good. So like that, I don't know. If, aren't they one and nine? I don't even know. I didn't even see their record. I I could have sworn I looked a week ago and they were like one and eight or something. I like do that. know they have actually. It's not just like almost the worst. It is the worst defense by rankings in, so, in the FBS. I, again, I, this is probably just a home home swing, right? That goes in their favor, but. Yeah. I don't. They're two and nine. Sorry, my bad. They're two and nine. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I'm insulted by this line. I think Texas State again. The past couple weeks has been self-inflicted wounds. They found something with Tyler Vitt that's worked. They've been able to run the ball a lot better than they have um, and before he was in at quarterback. And I think they have something consistently. I don't know what Arkansas State does well to where they. I would say like, yeah, they're, they should be favored yeah. in this game. Now that's not to say that I don't think they could win this game. As I've said, Texas State's bread and butter has been self-inflicted wounds. Mm-hmm. So Arkansas State can absolutely come away with this game. I just don't know. I, I, I'm i going to take Texas State outright because I feel like recently we've seen a semblance of consistency and, dare I say, identity on offense. Mm-hmm. Defensively, that's another story. That's going to keep this team probably in it the whole time. This is one of the worst defenses in terms of uh, third downs allowed, uh, third down rate. This is one of the worst uh, passing defenses so I, I have no idea what to expect on that side of the ball. But offensively, I think that's the best unit on the field in this game. And I'm going to go with Texas State. Right. And why not Why not end on a good note? It's sure. the last game of the season. You're not really playing for anything except maybe coming out with a win at the end of the season, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't know. Yeah. I'll take them. <laughs> Craven, what are you thinking? You know, to me, it's just a matter of if Texas State gets up for this on the road. Mm -hmm. You know, if if they do, they should have the talent to win. I mean, Arkansas State gives up 39.9 points per game. That looks like a misprint when you read it, you know. And then you look over at Texas State's and they give up 34. So you'd imagine the over uh, might hit. I think that's around 61, 61 and a half, depending on the book of choice of yours. I don't know. I, I we've talked about this a, a couple times now. I like this offense a lot better with Tyler Vitt running it, and mm-hmm. it doesn't mean anything about just kind of him versus McBride. It's just it gets simplified, and they start doing what they do best, and that's just running the football. He adds an extra dimension in there. He uh, defense has to account for him as a runner, which opens up some things. Not only in the run game, but it keeps things man to man on the outside. So you'd imagine Texas State can can score often and, and plentiful. Uh, if they don't turn the football over, it's just a matter of their defense can do the same thing. I wouldn't be surprised if we look down and this is 49-40 in the fourth quarter. Yep, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll see. And uh, the most depressing stat of the day is if they win this, this will be their best record since 2014. Jeez. So. Oh, <laughs> anyway, moving on to the next game. Mallory, what's next? Pointing to change the subject pretty quickly there. <laughs> SMU hosting Tulsa this Saturday at 3 p.m. You can watch this game on ESPN2, SMU favored by six and a half. All right, Craven, how worried are you about SMU with all the news going around and the butt kicking of last week? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, from if we're just don't going pure gambling here, mm-hmm. I would stay away from this game at all costs, right? Because you just have no clue if yeah. how much this is either. It's one of those things, right, where – do they come out and play great football knowing this is kind of their last hurrah together or, you know, they play great football thinking that Sonny Dykes is going to stay. You don't know what Sonny's saying behind the scenes. Right. And, um, so yeah, it just feels one of those where you just have no idea what SMU team you're going to get. And that's before we even talk about how they re- rebound from getting their butt kicked against Cincinnati. I mean, they didn't just lose that game. Like that was a kind of an embarrassing, humiliating uh, loss that I'm sure humbled a lot of guys on that roster Person, personal pride, do you come back out and play that football game pretty well this week? Or have you mailed it in knowing that your coach might be gone, you know, the day after this game? So they, you know, Sonny Dykes may not even be the head coach by the time this game kicks off. Right. And also, um, so, so there's a lot of variables out there that we just don't know the answers to when breaking down this football game. On paper, SMU should win by six and a half or more points. But right. like we just talked about, there's a lot of things going on here behind the scenes. 
And I feel like Tulsa is also a team that really plays to their competition, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've had some bad losses against some bad teams, but they've also really kept it close against teams like Cincinnati and Oklahoma State. And we know SMU is a pretty good team, so I think I wouldn't put it past them to keep it at least pretty close. Yeah, I don't hate uh, I don't hate Davis Brin, their quarterback. Shout out uh, Bernie Champion, I believe he came from. Um, I think he's a pretty good quarterback. I think Tulsa, that's been kind of the the – tenure of Tulsa the past couple of years is playing up to that competition, playing right. up to high competition. And you see the losses and you're like, Oh, this is a team that's not actually very good, but they're actually pretty, pretty mm-hmm. okay. I don't even mm-hmm. want They're not even like one of the top teams in AAC, but they're, they're just consistently competitive. So it's like a very interesting measuring stick because I think uh, Joe Hoyt tweeted out about Sonny Dykes where he said he didn't specify what to Craven's point, what he said to the players, but he did mention he did talk. He said he talked to the players about it, whatever it is, right? Right. Just the general. He said there was too, uh, quote unquote, too much noise around it to not address it. So I don't know what he said. I don't know if he says, "Hey, I'm taking the job." Allah here, you know, being honest with him, or saying, "Hey, I'm here right now. We're coaching right now." Either way, you know, coach uh, players' minds will go off and say, like, "Oh, he says he's here, but I'm hearing this, whatever." He says he, or he just said, "Hey, I'm gonna leave." So I was like, "What do I care?" You know. Mm-hmm. So. And again, players will play for pride. They'll play for themselves. So, like, maybe they will be up for this game. But it, it's not a coincidence that SMU's kind of up and down slide has been when the rumors have been around. Right. Right. Like, uh, Sonny, when, this, when the news dropped that Sonny Dykes had the extension and hasn't, hadn't signed it, that's kind of when the rockiness started to start with this program. So I just wonder if it's just starting to bleed into some of the, some of the meetings and onto the fields because – it's hard not to make that connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're one in three since Matt Wells was fired at Texas Tech. Yeah. Jeez, that's rough. Yeah. Like, that. that's all you need to say right there. Yeah. So. And to round out the regular season, Texas A&M traveling to LSU this Saturday at 6 p.m. You can watch this game on ESPN. Texas A&M favored by six and a half. But let me throw that out there that mm-hmm. Texas A&M has not won in Tiger Stadium since 1994, and it's also a night game. Mm-hmm. It is very difficult to go play into that stadium with those fans mm-hmm. at a 6 p.m. game. So if I'm, I'm taking LSU, I think outright. Ooh, okay. I, I'm wondering because A&M had the quote-unquote emotional. It wasn't emotional because they won. They beat them out. They beat them badly. But they had the emotional final home game against Prairie View. Right, yep. a lot of the players had their send off. So I'm wondering if there's a little bit of, you know, it felt like if to me it felt like a chapter closing for a lot of those players, right? It exactly. Felt like Leon exactly. O'Neill kind of put his statement out there. I'm kind of I didn't see Demar Leal. There's I don't know if it's official that he's probably leaving, but he should be. Um, I feel like it's been a chapter closing, and LSU is a program that. I mean, obviously they're in a coaching search too, so it's kind of a program in limbo. So it hasn't. I don't know if it's exactly the same. As measuring up against the time the previous times they've matched up, I think I'm gonna I'm still gonna lean a And M. I think I'll lean a And M, but I could be I could see this being another weird finish to the year. Mm-hmm. LSU gets to six wins. This is a team where I could see them not going to a bowl, straight up. If they get there, if they're five and seven, they lose this game and and go five and seven, get invited. I could see right. them saying no. Ed Orgeron's leaving anyway. But if they get six wins, a couple more games with Ed Orgeron, you know he can go out the way he wants to go out. Whatever, that's something to play for. This is a weird one. I actually didn't know that stat about them in Death Valley, so that's very interesting. But I don't know. Mike, what are you thinking? This LSU team's not very good. I know. You know, yeah, that's when it, you're man. favored by six and a half points in a night game at Tiger Stadium, that yeah. kind of says all you need to know. It, yeah. So if AM, you know, plays this football game without mistakes, uh, they should be able to win. I mean, LSU's defense gives up twenty five point five points a game. Yeah. I mean, that's that's absurd for an LSU team that we're, you know, we, that even Joe Burrow year, maybe the the outlier, but usually LSU at least plays good defense and they have a lot of talent on that side of the ball. So their defense not being good. I think that plays into A&M's favor because that offense isn't always that great. So they're not going up against an elite unit. You think that would help Zach Calzada, that running game. I'd like to see the game plan be, you know, what it was against Alabama where they're running the ball 40, 40, 45 times again. Um, so, like you said, Mallory, anything can happen at night in LSU. That's definitely not an easy place to play, and it hasn't been an easy place to play for A&M. Here's what I'm curious about. You're on that A&M football team, and your coach has been connected with those LSU rumors a lot. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. right, over the last month. I think you kind of yeah. want to come out and kind of prove why A&M is the better job. I think you see a Texas that's A&M a uh, team and coaching staff that's pretty motivated to make a point against LSU. And if they're able to get a lead, I, I think they kind of step on the throat and really embarrass LSU if they can. I think so. that's a good point because <laughs> you, you always take a grain of salt whenever a coach says, I'm not interested in a job, whenever he's connected. But like to his point, to his credit, I don't know how Jimbo Fisher can deny any more. Like or any more emphatically that he's not interested in the LSU job because uh-huh. he's basically said like I've built up AM. Why would I go in division to another conference to another rival and try to play against what I've built here? So that's a good point that I didn't think about. I will say that uh, LSU against the run has not been good at all this season. They had they had a decent game against Alabama, and what I believe they held Alabama to yeah they held Alabama to six yards rushing. Very wow. Good. But they've also gotten gashed against Kentucky, against Ole Miss. They, it's outside of, I think that game's very much an outlier because they've been put to the test against some good running teams. Florida was another game they were pretty good against. But um, uh, Kentucky and Ole Miss, they gave up basically over five yards. Against Kentucky, they gave over seven yards a carry. So if they have a good running game, which I think, of course, AM does with Isaiah mm-hmm. Spiller and Devonna Chain. If Jimbo wants to, I feel like there should be 30, 35 carries between those two guys. Let Zach Calzada hit your plays when he needs to. Don't have him go into this. Because, again, this is a tough environment. This, mm-hmm. this, this could very well go poorly if you decide to make to put this game on Zach Calzada's Calzada. shoulders. Yeah, shoulders. So You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that, right? You don't want to give the crowd that. Again, and this isn't. This isn't the notorious Death Valley, right? It's, it's a middling LSU team, so it's not going to be the most hostile environment. But right. final home game of the season might be a, the, one of the better crowds they've seen all year since it has been kind of dwindling in attendance. You don't want to give them any reason to get an energized to get some fuel behind that team. So mm-hmm. I hope they just try to keep this. I hope it's a boring Jimbo Fisher dominating performance. We talked about that at the beginning of the year where it's like he wins games like 31-17, but it was like very much in their control. I hope it's that kind of game because they don't need that crowd getting any sort of hype or energy. No, no, not at all. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, they just need to slow it down early, right? Use right. the running game, get a couple defensive stops, get up 10, 13, nothing, 14, nothing, and then that, that crowd goes away quietly into the night. And so uh, a quick start is big for AM. LSU comes out and has a quick start. Then that crowd does get energized. Maybe people start showing up that weren't even there at, right. at kickoff. Uh, but if you're Jimbo, I think the the way you can enthusiastically deny this job even further is by beating LSU by 40 points, right? Mm-hmm. Like just like, and so I do think that there is um, some motivation there for this A&M team inside the locker room that maybe you know isn't talked about outside of it. Yep. All right, Craven, where are you at this weekend? Going to Texas, Kansas State on Friday, and Baylor, Texas Tech on Saturday. Man, all nice. right, pulling another double this week because it's a. Uh... I always forget that Thanksgiving schedule throws everything out of whack because they got to throw some Friday games out there. And yeah, I was looking at the schedule. They and I was mess like, with the geez. high school game playoffs. Come yep. on, man. I got, I got my attention in seven different spots this week. This is, this is We're going to be tired on, on Sunday, just oh to say God. the least. I'm going to be spending all the whole day at the Alamo Dome, probably at that triple header for the playoffs. And I got to oh, keep all these man. games on my laptop, probably. Oh, it's too much to keep track of. <laughs> College basketball's going. College basketball's oh, going. I know. On. I got to so many tournaments. Oh, my goodness. Jeez. All right. Well, uh, for, luckily for Craven, because this is a man that's been working basically since, golly, January on just MLS, whatever. Luckily for Craven, this week and then conference championship week is the big the big push for him. Then you get a nice rest before you can pick out what bowls you want to hit, mm-hmm. where you want to go for his, uh, devote your coverage there. Because, Mike, you've been – you're running on fumes now, let's just say. <laughs> I am running on fumes because it just it was the 2020 season and the national signing day ran into February. Then I got onto the soccer beat and that ran into uh, you know September. And then I've been on this job, so I feel like I've been in season since football came back from the pandemic in 2020. Oh, I could use I could use a break. Yeah, so we'll try to get that break to you as quick as we can, man. We're trying to hit. That's why we're cramming these games on a Friday and Saturday, trying to get the season going. No, so. no, no, no. That that break that I should get will be state championship week and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah, we'll oh, see about geez. that. So yeah. yeah, that's true. We'll be we'll be dying and Craven will be just chilling on his own. But no. um, <laughs> yeah, so we'll talk to you guys on Sunday. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Enjoy your holiday. Whatever you're celebrating, hang out with your family, watch some football, and we'll see you guys this weekend.